0: Okay, so it's Sunday night. I want to challenge you a little bit to look around the auditorium. Not at me. Look around the auditorium. How many people here tonight, do you know their names? Kind of glance around. I I didn't ask her permission, but when Delaney and I first came to Wilshire, she used to play a game on Sunday morning. She's giving me that look. Don't, Don't tattle on me. This one's safe. Uh, she, used to play, <laughs> she used to play this game where she tried to name everyone waiting on the table that Sunday morning. You know, and sometimes we'd get in the car and she'd say, well, I knew four of them, you know. And it kind of takes you a while to move in and get to know a, a new congregation and new people. But I mean, just kind of look around the church, the congregation this evening. How many people do you know? You know their names. And we've got some visitors here and visitors... You may not know anybody, and that's okay. Uh, how long have they gone to Wilshire? How long have they been part of this congregation? Well, what do they do for a living? How many kids have they got? Where are they from? Do they have any pets? Do you know their pets' names? I mean, just think, how well do you know the people you're sitting around the auditorium with? Have you ever been in their home? Or have they ever been in your home? Or have you ever spent time with them outside of this place? Just some questions I wonder about. Our Sunday night audience is is smaller. And as Jim's been talking about, Ryan announced several weeks ago, um, our elders are really spending time praying about and thinking about how can we improve um, the level of relationships here at Wilshire, especially because you see that on Sunday nights. You know, it's, it's something that's happening all across uh, the church in, in areas today. Your Sunday morning attendance to your Wednesday night or Sunday night attendance is like 40%. Some churches panic and they're just canceling Sunday night services or trying to do other things. Our elders are not canceling Sunday night. So if if you've heard that or think that, you're wrong. That's not going to happen. But they are interested in saying, how can we make our congregation, how can we deepen those relationships and make Sunday nights uh, more effective? And so this is something they've been talking about and praying about and, and will continue to go on. And so... In conjunction with that conversation and those thoughts, Jim and I have wanted to think about just fellowship in general on Sunday nights and and think through the New Testament and what fellowship meant when you open the pages of Scripture. So Jim's talked a little bit about that, and I want to do a little bit about that this evening as well. I grew up in McLeod, Oklahoma. Some of you have heard that before. And what was really interesting is the church where I grew up in was about 95 on a good Sunday. Delana grew up in Stark City, Missouri. Most of you have probably never heard of that. People five miles outside of Stark City, Missouri didn't know about Stark City. It was a little teeny place. It was a church of maybe about 50 on a good Sunday. The first congregation I worked with was in Chandler, and, and it was about 60 members when we left. And so we come to Wilshire, and Wilshire's average is 250 people. And we show up, and hence the game Delana would play. Because I mean, this is a big church from our perspective. But every now and then, we'll have people come visit Wilshire from the local area, or they've moved into the area, and they say, "We we'll say, what drew you to Wilshire? What are you interested in, Wilshire? We, we just like the small church feel. There are 250 people here, small church. It's really weird. There's been a discussion lately. Can churches be too big? Now, I'm not saying that against anybody or any congregation. We've got some very large sister churches that have some wonderful resources and they use them well. But is it possible that the church can get so big that you lose that critical component that we are supposed to be as a family, where you know the people in the pew, where you share life with the people in the pew? Well, there were two stories this week that appeared in the news. Well, one story that appeared in the news and one I was reminded of. Some of you may have seen this. Um, Mark Zuckerberg. Does the name sound familiar to you? If you've gotten on Facebook recently, you can thank Mark Zuckerberg. Well, he was in the news this week and he said he wants Facebook groups to play an important role that community groups like churches and little league teams used to perform. Bringing communities together. With nearly 2 billion people around the world on Facebook today, He might have a chance to make it happen, the author of this article says. Zuckerberg laid out his lofty ambition in a Chicago speech last week that suggested Americans are in need of something to unify their lives. Zuckerberg said, It's so striking that for decades, membership in all kinds of groups has declined as much as one quarter, he said during a rally for Facebook users who've built large community support groups. That's a log of people who now need to find a sense of purpose and support somewhere else. He added, people who go to church are more likely to volunteer and give charity, not just because they're religious, but because they're part of a community. Now, in all fairness, there are a lot of conservative media outlets that came out and said, Mark Zuckerberg wants to replace churches with Facebook. That's not what he said. But what he did say was, the church used to serve a purpose in people's lives that's not being fulfilled anymore. And he thinks the answer is Facebook. That scares me. Have you been on Facebook lately? (laughs) Do you want a community that acts like that? But he's on to something when he says the value of community and people filling a part of a community, filling a part of something bigger than themselves. And isn't that what we're trying to do as the church? Now, there's a second story, and this one was, I was reminded of this, and the name may sound familiar to some of you guys. There's an evangelical minister by the name of Francis Chan. Francis Chan did something unheard of in preaching in ministry circles. He went from a church that he started out in Simi Valley, California, uh, the Cornerstone Church. He grew this church over about 20 years from 30 people in his living room to over 5,000 people. And after about 19 years working with that church, he stood up and announced one day, I'm leaving. Now, the thing that's unheard of is, number one, that he would leave a place like that. But I've heard lots of preachers who all of a sudden they feel called to another church. And it always seems that the other church is bigger and pays more money. That's how they define calling for some way. But for Chan, it was something different. He left behind the megachurch to go into San Francisco and start smaller house church type plants. And his reasoning was fascinating to me. Now again, Chan and I, I respect him in a lot of things he's written and thinks. He's kind of against the grain in a lot of circles. But he says, I started showing up on Sunday and realizing there are 5,000 people who were called by God to use a gift who were showing up to hear me use my gift. And they weren't being spiritually involved. He said, these were heads of CEOs, people who run big businesses, but they slide into church on Sunday to hear me talk, and they won't get involved at all. And he said, maybe we've missed something. And he walked away from the megachurch concept. He told one story that was especially striking about a young man that he had baptized. He said, we'd studied with the guy. He came out of a gang culture. He was baptized and highly involved for a little while, But after a while, this this kid dropped out and he he quit coming to church. And another member of the church asked him, said, hey, what happened? You were so active. He said, I misunderstood church. I thought church would be kind of like the gang in that it was everyday part of your life. And I expected that when I was baptized that I would be involved with church and active in church every day and it turns out it's just somewhere we go on Sunday. And Chan said, that's when I was sick. That gangs have a better understanding of family than the church of Jesus Christ. Now, with those two stories in mind, I was interested in light of what Jim and I are doing on Sunday night and what fellowship actually looks like. And when you open your Bible to Acts, Acts begins laying out what the community of God first looked like and what they were doing. And and what I'm afraid of, and I think what Mr. Chan's afraid of, and what has kind of happened, is that we have boiled church down to a Sunday activity. That our faith, only wakes us up on Sunday to punch a card, and then we leave, never to be involved in kingdom activity until next Sunday. That's not the picture you get in the book of Acts. Now, the text that was read earlier from Acts chapter 2 is one that you've all read. It's one you're very familiar with. It's the day of Pentecost. And what we sometimes miss is the fact that these people in Acts chapter 2 who become Christians... Luke describes them early on in Acts as saying, there were Jews there from every nation under heaven. So we've we've packed our bags. We've come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, one of the three great festivals of the year that you go to Jerusalem. And we're all there. And it's kind of just another trip. Now, the Jews, it was a big deal to go to Jerusalem. I'm not downplaying that. But we've done this before. We've gone to Jerusalem before. We've celebrated Pentecost and, and Passover. We've done that before. So this seemed like another routine trip until the Spirit comes, the wind blows, the apostles preach, 3,000 people become Christians. And now suddenly, while we were planning on going home tomorrow after the Pentecost festival, suddenly, I think a lot of those people decided to stick around. Now what happens if you've packed your family up, you've traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and your vacation or your pilgrimage gets extended a bit? We weren't planning to stay for a month. We just came for Pentecost. And that may be what lies behind the fact that there are so many people in need here. Now, there were obviously poverty and some needs otherwise. But when you start reading this description of the church, look at it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers... And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds as all need to all as many as had need. And listen to this. Day by day. It's fun just what they did on Sunday. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's interesting to me that Luke uses that phrase day by day twice in this context. Christian faith is not just a Sunday activity. It is God putting us in a community of people to live our lives with. To face everything with. And, and so as you've got all these people here, Jerusalem swells. Uh, people have talked about Jerusalem triples in size when all these people come in from around. You've got all these people who need something. And where do you find it? Well, I'm part of a community now that serves. I remember when I was growing up, my dad used to go on TDY trips you know, for the government. And he was out on the East Coast, I believe, during Hurricane Andrew. I don't remember what year that was, but you couldn't get a hotel room anywhere. Everybody was fleeing the coast, going inland to get away from it. You couldn't get a room anywhere. My dad found one. He went to the local congregation and he said, I'm from out of town and I need a place to stay. And the preacher opened his home up. Where would you go if you had nowhere else to go? My family and I are about to take off and go to Montana. Weird people are from Montana. If you know anyone from Montana, they're weird. That's not in my notes, Brian. I just. What would you do if you're traveling across the United States and your car broke down and you had nothing or anywhere to go? Who would you call? Would you call the church? Say, look, I'm a brother or sister in Christ. I need my family right now. That's the image you get in Acts chapter 2, that these are people who share every part of their life with each other day by day. Now, you get another picture of this. It's in Acts chapter 4. Luke gives you these summary statements of the church. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. No one had anything that belonged to him, was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that had been sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was thus distributed as each had need. Now this this is where we first meet Joseph or Barnabas. And then chapter 5 is where Ananias and Sapphira lie about this. People sometimes get all bent out of shape and say, well, it looks like the early church was communist. (laughs) No, this is all voluntary acts. They just loved each other so much that they said, you have a need, I've got a way to meet that need. And nobody clung to something so much that they would watch their brother or sister suffer. And that was the life of the early church. Fellowship was an everyday part of their life. Day by day. Remember last week, Jim showed us text from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, exhort one another daily, not just on Sunday, not just on Sunday. I want to show you one other thing about this and then um, a few practical applications of this. Have you ever noticed when Paul writes letters in the New Testament, all the people he knows, Turn to Romans chapter 16. We, we've talked about this um, when we studied Romans. But this is such a fun text to me because scholars argue well, this, this can't be Pauline or it, it must belong in another text because, because Paul had never been to Rome yet. <laughs> when you read your New Testament, Paul is wanting to get to Rome. He's trying to get to Rome and eventually under house arrest he gets to Rome. But when the book of Romans is written, it seems Paul hadn't been there yet. But yet, when you get to the end of Romans, chapter 16, it's this long list of names. And Paul begins talking to people who are in that church. For instance, he's staying in the house of Gaius back in Corinth when he writes this letter. And Paul says, when you see Phoebe, Greek Phoebe, he says, she has been a patron of many, even of myself. Somewhere along the line, Paul had a relationship with this woman named Phoebe. You look in Acts chapter 16 and you find Aquila and Priscilla. You ever heard those names before? Sure you have. You go back to 1 Corinthians or Acts chapter 18 and when Paul is leaving, he stops in Corinth and there he meets this young couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and he stays with them because they do the same thing for a living. They're tent makers. And Paul spends a year and a half there in Corinth and it seems Aquila and Priscilla are there the whole time because when Paul leaves later in Acts chapter 18, Aquila and Priscilla join him and he leaves them in Ephesus. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul writes to the church and he says, The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. They're with him. And then when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Timothy, greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. And when you read Acts chapter 16, Paul says, or Romans chapter 16, he says, Aquila and Priscilla risked their necks for my life. These are just people he met in passing. These were genuine, authentic relationships that Paul had built. You find here in Romans chapter 16, Eponiatus, who Paul says was the first convert in Asia. You remember those things. I remember the first person I ever baptized. Paul's been laboring in Asia and he says, I remember that brother. Andronicus and Junia, Paul says, they are kinsmen and fellow prisoners. Look, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I've heard if you spend time in jail with someone, you remember them. I've been told. But if you struggle with someone and you go through a lot together, you remember them. And, and Paul has this authentic relationship. And then in Acts chapter, or Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says, And tell Rufus, tell him and his mother, who is also a mother to me. These are deep, genuine relationships. That's what the church is supposed to be. Not just Sunday morning glances or quick conversations. Their lives were enmeshed with each other. And so the picture you get as you read the New Testament is authenticity. One of the things people often complain about in churches today is they say that people just aren't real. I mean, think about it. You've had an awful week. Something terrible is staring you down for next week, and you show up at church and someone says, how are you, brother? And what do you say? I'm great. Really? Paul shared his life with the people in the church. And that's what God calls the church to be. And that's what you find in Acts chapter 2. How do you get relationships like that? Well, just some practical things I've thought of. Use the time that we have together in good ways. I mean, think about this. I was talking with someone this week. Every now and then someone will not be at worship. And it's someone who just, you don't know them because they come early and they leave before the closing prayer. And then if they miss several weeks, they get very offended that no one has called them or checked in on them. You don't even know their name because they never give you an opportunity to know their name. Well, it's really interesting to me, I don't know if you've ever noticed, that But Sunday nights around Wilshire, people stay for a long time. We have a problem, not talking about anyone, specifically Decker family, but... And Caldwell family, and I mean, there's a list. But what's interesting to me is to watch the people who linger after worship. Sunday morning's different because we've got to beat the Baptist down to the cafeteria, right? So, But Sunday nights, things are different. But what's interesting is the times that I've gotten to know people the most are usually in the long times after Sunday night or Wednesday night. Real conversations that unfold. There are ministries that can be done here, and you learn people the most, you learn more about them when you're working beside them. VBS is so fun because you spend a lot more time with people you don't normally get to spend time with. And even at the end of a long VBS, people who are out of their minds stay even longer. I mean, like, VBS ends at 9 o'clock and at midnight there are people steer here, not all the time working. But they're talking and they're sharing life. The World Bible School, some of our members work in World Bible School. Talk to our youth group about their trip to Houston most recently. A lot of us know each other because we've spent a week at camp together. You want to get to know someone? You go away from home, you deprive them of sleep, you put them in charge of 230 kids when it's 120 degrees outside. Then you get to know someone, right? How much time do you spend outside of the church building with people in this church? And that's when you begin to form real relationships. You see, Wilshire's an interesting place because it's a little different geographically. The church I grew up in, in McLeod, Oklahoma, there's one church in town. Every kid in the youth group, what youth group we had, went to the same high school Everybody lived within ten minutes of the church building. And so it was easier to share life together. Wilshire's not like that. And it's not bad, it's just, it's just not like that. I mean, I don't know how many different schools our youth group goes to. Few of our youth group go to the same school. There are people in this church who, if you wanted to get in your car and drive to their house, it could be 45 minutes to an hour to get there. Because some of us live in the middle of nowhere. Right, and, and so when we get together, it's intentional. But it also needs to be something of value. And so the question is, how do we make church more than just somewhere we go on Sunday? How do we make our time of worship and our time together mean more? And there have been some things that have happened in recent years here at Wilshire. Our Wednesday night meals... I didn't plan to say this, so I might get in trouble. Our Wednesday night meals are not just to make it convenient, although hopefully it does. It's to give each other time to sit across the table and relax and get to know that person. Every now and then, someone will say, I'm not coming there, I don't like what they're having to eat. God bless you, we love you, but that's not the priority we're trying to meet. We're trying to form relationships. And some of the best relationships you form are over meals you don't necessarily enjoy. (laughs) Although our guys do a good job. But there's a deeper purpose to it. People who can wander into a church and wander out without ever being noticed are the people who never make an attempt to plug into the ministry and the relationships there. And so our elders are trying to be intentional to say, how can we make moments like Sunday night? More relationship driven. To get to know people. To share the kind of fellowship you find in Acts chapter 2. Some of us are blessed to work in an environment with people who we go to church with. But not all of us are. And let me just encourage you to find those opportunities. To make faith something that is every day part of who you are. Not just somewhere you slip in on Sunday and leave. Authentic relationships. Okay, one more story and I'll be done for the night. A few weeks ago, it was Monday of VBS. Sister Ethel McCarty had surgery. And uh, I was sitting there talking with her before her surgery. And it was so funny because we we had talked for quite a while when her doctor walked in. Her doctor happened to be Amanda Noblin's brother. I'm sure I just broke some sort of legal thing that I'm not supposed to tell information. (laughs) And I said, oh, Dr. Scott, I know you. You're Amanda's brother. And Sister McCarty got so excited that I knew her doctor. I said, he's Amanda Noblin's sister. They go to church together. I promise you, you have never seen someone more excited to know that their doctor had that connection was connected in the faith somehow. Now, why would that make a difference? You ever felt better when members of the church walk in? When you're in the presence of family? When you know someone's there that's got your back? When you know there's someone here who understands the challenge I'm facing? Or there's someone here that's not just going to push me aside that I actually am a part of? of a deeper relationship because of Jesus Christ. So next time you read in Acts that they were together day by day, it's because their faith meant something and those relationships meant something. And so our prayer at Wilshire is that this church, that you get to know people in the auditorium, that they're more than just that blonde-headed, blue-eyed person that sits on the other side of the room, or that older gentleman, I, I can't ever remember his name, but that you know who we are, not just on Sunday or Wednesday. Well, God saves us and places us in a family because when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, that's what he had in mind. Not just a place to go on Sunday, but a people to be a part of. And if you're missing that in your life, you've never put on Jesus Christ in baptism, that's where it starts with a family of God here to welcome you into the kingdom of God. And if you need to take part of that opportunity this evening, we invite you to come while we stand and sing together.